You're listening to the Your Knee, Your Health podcast. I'm your host, Adam Rosen. I'm a fellowship-trained, board-certified orthopedic surgeon who specializes in knee replacement. Here I'll talk to you about common knee complaints and other orthopedic issues. We'll cover other important health-related topics, all of which are meant to helpfully answer some of your questions and help improve the quality of your life. Thanks for listening, and on with the next episode. Hello and welcome back. I'm Adam Rosen and you're listening to the Your Knee, Your Health podcast. In today's episode, I want to talk to you about how you can potentially lower the risk or chance that you're going to get a complication if you have surgery. Um, Commonly in the past, um, you know, people would talk about or even your surgeon would say, you know, see your doctor to get cleared. And, you know, being cleared is is really a bad term because nobody can be cleared for surgery. You know, we can't guarantee that you're not going to have a problem. So a better way of describing it is how do we optimize you or optimize a patient for a particular surgery? So there's really no way um, in a trauma setting to optimize you at that point. You know, you miss the boat because if you were healthier throughout your entire life and then had a traumatic event like a car accident and you came in for surgery, um, there's still risks involved, but your risks might be lower. You know, if you make choices in your life to smoke um, or you're overweight or you have diabetes that's not under control and then have a traumatic event that requires a surgery, you're much more likely to have a complication such as infection or poor wound healing uh, or a blood clot or a bone nut healing if it's a fracture. So you can actually make improvements in your health for that rare chance or occasion that there's an accident in your future. Uh, but when we have time for you know what we consider a elective surgery, or I think what a better term is a scheduled surgery, um, we can then optimize you prior to that scheduled surgery. Because doctors, we are constantly learning. Um, it is a lifelong learning profession. And one of the ways that we do that is having um, typically these monthly, what's called an M&M. So an M&M is a meeting that discusses morbidity and mortality. And it is all de-identified in the sense that, you know, we don't bring up patients' um, names, but it is a way of sharing the um, situation uh, so that other doctors might learn from the errors or mistakes that occurred and see, was there, sometimes there's nothing that could have been done differently, and it was just an outcome, and we're always interested in how the outcome was handled or what happened. But typically, you know, it always begins with, you know, a 60-year-old person who's, you know, overweight, uncontrolled diabetes, smoker, you know, had this elective surgery and developed an infection. It's a really common scenario. So we want to optimize people. So as, as the patient, and the reason I bring this up to you is that Some surgeons, I believe, are surgeons first and doctors second. I always say I'm a doctor first and a surgeon second. So I'm I'm interested in people's health. I look at the labs and I look at their medical history with a lot of scrutiny because I know that that can cause problems if I'm not aware of those things, especially if those things are not well managed. And even, um, you know, doctors, I mean, you can have a really nice doctor, but they may not manage, you know, some of these problems well, or, you know, maybe they're busy and they're swamped and... You know, they just kind of didn't look as as closely at some of these labs. And, you know, I've had, you know, primary care doctors, you know, write, okay, for surgery, 
Um, and then I've looked at it and said, whoa, no, time out. There's a reason I'm not going to do surgery. We have to do X, Y, and Z first. So I just want you to be aware because some of these are things that, you know, you can change and some of these are things that you'll need help changing. But you have to ask yourself, I mean, what things do you have that can cause a problem? So are you an organ transplant patient? So we have a lot of organ transplant patients. Uh, and some of those patients do have severe arthritis that require a joint replacement. Uh, and there's a really high risk of infection compared to the normal population because these people are on medicines to prevent the rejection. So patients just have to be aware. And there's always been a big debate, you know, do you do the surgery when someone has a failing liver or failing kidney or do you wait till after? Because if they have a bad organ, the complication rate's high. And if they get a new organ, but they're on immunosuppression, the complication rate's high. But for the most part, most people will wait until the organ is transplanted because overall the patient is safer if they're managed well, but the risk is still there. And I have to let those patients know that, you know, their risk is higher than other people. And this is why, and this is what happens um, if they get an infection or have a problem. Diabetes. And again, you should take care of your diabetes. Um, I always tell people the, the, the surgery that I like the least um, is doing amputations. And typically it's, you know, somebody who was diabetic, not controlled, got an ulcer, ulcer infected the bone, and now we have to amputate their foot. But it's the number one reason, uncontrolled diabetes, that is the number one reason for um, amputation that's non-traumatic in our country, and number one reason for blindness. But it's sort of that silent killer. It's like high blood pressure. You know, you don't feel high blood pressure until you have a heart attack or stroke, and by then it's too late, or end-stage kidney disease um, from uncontrolled high blood pressure. So you might not feel these sugars when they're running high in your system, but if we check it and see that we have to get your sugars under control because not only does it increase your risk of infection, but there's been studies that show it increases all complications across the board, even sudden death um, when we're doing these elective surgeries. So I get those patients back to their primaries, sometimes a nutritionist, and sometimes, you know, if the primary is having trouble, some people are hard to control getting them in to see an endocrinologist. Um, kidneys, know what your kidney disease is. You know, if your doctor has told you that you have chronic kidney disease, why? You know, is it due to high blood pressure? Is it due to diabetes? You know, is it genetic? Is there something else going on? Because people that have kidney disease have an increased risk of complications, specifically infection and other things. So if we can fix it or control it, that's great. But if it's not fixable to normal, we just want to make sure that it's controlled and not worsening. And then the other things that, you know, you might not have the ability to go back and change the past, but letting your doctor know, you know, I did have a heart attack years ago, or I did have a stroke, um, that's important for them to know because they might want to have you see a special doctor to get a special test prior to this elective surgery so we can make sure that you're as safe as possible. Now, some of my patients have autoimmune diseases. They're seeing a rheumatologist, and there's a number of drugs that um, should be stopped because they can increase the risk of complications, infections, wound issues, and some do not have to be stopped. So it's good to coordinate that with your doctor and rheumatologist. You know, are you on prednisone? Because people that are on prednisone for chronic diseases sometimes need a stress dose. You know, when we have stress, a bear chases you, or you have surgery, your body releases some of these natural um, prednisone chemicals. And if you're on a chronic prednisone, your body will not do that. So we have to give you that um, extra to make sure that your body responds to the stress of surgery. Depression and anxiety, you know, and more than ever, I mean, this is really affecting a lot of people in the world that we live in. And there's been studies that do show that it is common, especially after hip fractures, but after any surgery, you can get short-term 
you know, depression or feelings of depression or anxiety. It can be due to pain. It can be due to your loss of independence or reliance on other people. Um, sometimes the isolationism of can't go out and hang out with friends is frequently the first couple days. And if you have that talk to somebody, um, I always tell patients it's very normal to have a short-term episode of that after surgery and it will go away. But if you have that chronically, it can be worsened. So it's always good to make sure that your therapist is involved or family members, close friends are aware that you're having surgery so that if those symptoms do get worse after surgery, um, that they can help you uh, to make sure that it doesn't get further than that. Um, Alzheimer's and dementia. You know, someone that has severe Alzheimer's dementia, we're probably not doing very many elective surgeries on, um, but occasionally, and even if somebody has mild um, dementia, Alzheimer's, sometimes anesthesia and just being in a, a foreign place like the hospital and some of the medications can worsen that. Sometimes short-term and it resolves, but sometimes worsens it and it's permanent. So you want to be aware of that. There may not be much that you can do to, you know, change or prevent that, but again, making sure the doctor's aware and the big thing that we look for is um, something called postoperative delirium, um, what sometimes was referred to as sundowning, and it's a, a postoperative change that can occur. I always tell patients, you know, it'll be more scary to like me and their family and friends than them because sometimes they don't recognize what's going on, and our, our way is just reinforcing the day and the time um, because sometimes a little anesthesia, pain medicine, but also interruption in the sleep cycle can worsen that. Now, what about your lungs? Um, you know, if you have issues, COPD and emphysema, sometimes um, that can be exacerbated. So we want to make sure if you have a pulmonologist that they're involved and if you have sleep apnea um, that your doctor's involved and, you know, making sure that your doctor's aware, bring your mask to the hospital. A lot of times they have machines that they can hook, but not a mask that fits your face well. And then, um, you know, the things that I've talked about before, um, you know, weight, weight's a big issue. So interestingly enough, a lot of people are surprised that if you're underweight, which would be a BMI of less than 18, your risk of complications is actually higher than if your BMI is really high because you have no reserve and, you know, you burn a lot of calories to heal. And if you're overweight, you know, the risk is still there as far as infection and wound healing. And just know that, you know, coming in at a high weight um, makes it more difficult to put you to sleep. Um, you require more medication. It's harder on the staff to move you and manipulate your leg. Uh, the surgery is typically longer, incisions usually bigger, you know, wounds typically deeper, and all that leads to an increased risk of complications such as infection and blood clots. So we, we try to optimize people by getting them to, you know, lose weight to try to get into a healthy zone prior to surgery to minimize the risk of those complications happening. Um, and also if you're underweight, we've got to make sure that we increase your nutrition prior to surgery to make sure that you have the reserve for healing. And if you're having difficulty with those things, again, if the primary is a great set starting point, but if not, seeing a nutritionist. Um, and there's lots of other different programs that are available at certain institutions, like we have a metabolic clinic um, that's helpful for people um, like that or have heart disease and diabetes, sort of the combination of all of those together to help get them healthier um, with everything, not just in the pounds. Skin. So you have to really take a look at your skin. Um, you know, these patients that come in that have chronic venous stasis ulcers and they, or they pick and they scratch and they itch and they have sores everywhere. That's a problem. It's not a safe leg to operate on. You know, you're just asking to develop an infection. So we have to figure out why those have occurred and what we can do to improve or fix that. You know, sometimes it is losing weight, but if they have maybe arterial disease, 
you might need to see a vascular surgeon. Maybe there's a blockage in the artery. Um, you know, I've even had patients, you know, if they have um, cats and dogs have fleas, you know, they can come in with multiple flea bites. Some people just, you know, pick also skin folds. You know, we have certain people that have certain skin folds in different areas of their body, depending on whether or not you carry the, you know, the weight in your belly or on your hips in front of your knees. You know, and if you cut through a skin fold and try to get a skin fold area to heal, it's very difficult. So it increases your chance of infection. Vascular issues. If you've ever had a blood clot, family history of a blood clot, let your doctor know. You know, most patients are what we consider normal risk, not high risk. Um, and there's no low risk patient for surgeries like knee replacement. But if we don't know that you had a history of a blood clot, um, we can't put you into that high risk category and it may change how we treat you. So, you know, being aware of if you've had a blood clot or a pulmonary embolus, you know, and letting your doctor know so the appropriate tests can be ordered or the certain medications can be changed. You know, then heart disease. You know, if you have a cardiologist or you've had a heart attack or history of heart disease in the family, you know, most people are checking an EKG, but there may be more tests that are needed for you. And then as far as, you know, um, infections in the past, it's really good and important for us to know if you've had infections in the past with strange bacteria. So, you know, people know about staph or staph infections and the bad ones called MRSA, methicillin-resistant staph aureus. Not everybody gives the antibiotic vancomycin to everybody, um, but we do use that in people that have had a history of MRSA. So if we don't know that you had it, you know, 10 years ago at another hospital, um, we may not be aware. So it's always good to let patients or doctors know that if you had a MRSA infection um, in the past. And then any other things like, um, you know, active cancer that, you know, maybe still there, but being treated and maintained with a certain medication, that can increase your risk of blood clots. Um, or if you have underlying hematologic disorders, you know, we want to be aware of that. And then other medical history things is, you know, if you've had a history of a, a bad reaction to anesthesia, you know, let the doctor know so they can inform anesthesia just so everybody's aware um, at the time. Now, labs, I want to go over this and touch on this, but, you know, you may not have... Um, a great understanding of it, but with the medical record now, you should be able to look at some of this stuff. And, you know, when we look at your CBC, what's called um, your, it's basically the, the tests of your blood count, complete blood count. It looks at your white blood cells, which are cells that fight infection. They can be normal, which is good. They can be high in infection or certain blood disorders, and they can be low in malnutrition and other blood disorders. So if your white blood cell count is high or low, that can increase the chance of an infection. So we want to know why and we want to correct it. Um, your H&H, or your hemoglobin and hematocrit, if they're low, that indicates anemia. But again, we want to know why. You know, are you bleeding in your GI tract? That needs to be seen and worked up before surgery. You know, do you have low iron stores or low B12? Can that be repleted with just a vitamin um, or a shot, and then your blood count comes up? Because if your blood count's low, and you lose a little bit of blood at the time of surgery, you're tired, you're weak, you're dizzy, you can't do therapy, you might need a blood transfusion, all of that increases the risk of complications. And then your platelets. So these are these little cells that basically um, clot together to, um, can block arteries, but also stop bleeding. So if you have low platelets and you have a surgery, which inherently causes bleeding, you might not be able to stop bleeding. So if you have very low platelets, we gotta figure out why and is there a way to correct that. Now, the other thing that we look for is, um, your comprehensive metabolic profile, your basic metabolic profile, what we're looking at here mainly um, are your kidney disease and kidney function. Again, the creatinine is the big number we're looking at. And if your creatinine level is high, we want to know why and is there a way to treat it? Because high creatinine is kidney disease and places you at risk for increased risk of complications. 
And then with the comprehensive, we're looking at a, a number called your albumin. And albumin is a level of your protein stores. And even if you're overweight, your protein stores can still be low. You can still be malnourished and overweight. But if your albumin's low, your risk of wound complication and infection is quite high. So we have to figure out why and how to correct that. And then diabetes. If you have diabetes, you should know what your hemoglobin A1C is. This is a number, which is a percentage. It looks at how much um, of these cells are affected by these high sugar levels floating through your bloodstream. And if it's over seven, your diabetes by definition is not under control. And although your risk of infection with diabetes is a little bit higher, if it's uncontrolled, it's even higher. And again, we got to make sure that that number gets fixed and corrected to lower your risk of infection and all other complications that could occur at the time of surgery. And if you can't do it with your primary, seeing an endocrinologist is the next best thing. And then liver disease. You know, some patients have liver disease, so we want to look at that if needed. Because again, um, if you have liver disease, that's where a lot of the products are made that help you stop bleeding. And you could have major bleeding issues if your liver has decompensated. Socially, you got to figure out, are you a smoker? Do you drink? Do you drink excessively? Because smoking can increase the risk of infections and wound complications and blood blood clots. So every doctor is different, um, but we typically try to get people to stop smoking forever, but preferentially at least for two weeks before, two weeks after surgery to lower the risk. Um, And then alcohol, because we don't see it as much because patients are not in the hospital very long, but when patients used to be in the hospital, even two or three nights, you know, if they drank excessively, they can go through withdrawal, delirium tremens, and it was really severe. I've had patients in the past that would wind up in the ICU on ventilators um, from these reactions. So usually this can also cause issues with malnutrition. It can cause issues with increased risk of bleeding. Um, So we want to make sure that, you know, if you're drinking, we have to get that under control before you have an elective surgery. Uh, And then, your level of function. Um, if you are in pain uh, and still active, that's okay. You should be able to recover well. But if you're very disabled, you know, walker wheelchair bound and you're weak, there's a lot of stuff that you should be able to do or try to do or have to do prior to surgery to strengthen your muscles or get the joints moving to improve the chance of your recovery. Because if you come in very weak, um, it's going to be very hard and it's going to have, or you're going to have a very long recovery to get back to that level um, of strength that you need to get off of uh, the walker or out of the wheelchair. Whereas somebody coming in with no need for an assisted device may go walker for a couple of days to a week, cane and off. You know, if you're starting in a walker or wheelchair, you might have months and months and months of therapy ahead of you to get that strength back. So trying to start strengthening prior to surgery is extremely important. And then, um, you know, medications, um, we talked about the... Um, prednisone and special medications for rheumatology that might have to be stopped. Um, Anticoagulants. So if you're on a blood thinner for some particular reason, you have to get the doctors involved and find out, you know, can you stop it? When can you stop it? You know, do you have to take something in its place? What's the risk of stopping it? You know, and then narcotics. You know, we know that a lot of people on chronic narcotics, even if it's not for the thing that we're operating on, those patients have a higher issue with pain postoperatively and complications and revisions and no one's really sure exactly of the exact you know reasons as to why but we try to do everything we can to limit and lower and wean them off of narcotics prior to these elective surgeries so it lessens the chance of having complications with anesthesia and other things after surgery uh, and then um, of all the other labs you know I always look at the vitamin D D is in David um, we've talked about this with osteoporosis because as an orthopedist 
and we kind of have that own the bone um, push of we're looking. So if I catch people with low vitamin D, you know, we're just looking at their overall bone health and might supplement that or replete that in the future so they can get the best potential for bone health and may need a bone density test in the future. So a lot of information. I, I think it's just important that patients know. And when I talk to people, if we're going to delay a surgery for something that's abnormal, I even have a longer discussion about specifically that issue they have and the issues that occur um, if they had a complication. So I go into the details of, hey, look, if you know if we do surgery and these risks are high and because of that risk, your risk of infection is high and you get an infection, um, sometimes we can go back to the operating room and just wash your knee out and change the, the modular plastic part close it back up, put you on six weeks of IV antibiotics, and sometimes the infection goes away. But if not, then we have to go back in and take all of the implants out. We gotta chisel them off the bone, put you on antibiotics again for six weeks. And then if we can clear the infection, then maybe go back, now put another implant in. And I, you know, I explained, you don't wanna go through two or possibly three surgeries for an infection and we know that the more surgeries that you have, the worse the outcome is as far as scar tissue and pain and stiffness, so it doesn't feel like a normal total knee. All of that could be due potentially to the fact that we didn't optimize you and lower your risk of an infection or complication because these things that we saw ahead of time, we didn't take the time to hit the pause button and fix you know, someone that has bad uncontrolled diabetes or is overweight um, or has you know, some other modifiable, correctable risk factor. And now you're looking at all of these additional surgeries to fix this problem that may have been avoided. Uh, and I think once patients hear that, that you know, we are not just delaying the surgery and saying no, but we're saying hit the pause button because we want to make you better and safer and healthier to prevent you from having to go through all of this stuff. I think patients sometimes understand it a little bit better, uh, but it's good that you're aware of these things. Now, there's a whole bunch of, you know, articles and studies in our world. Um, there's one that I'm going to put in the show notes, though. It's a really interesting um, joint calculation risk thing that is designed for patients like you. This is out of the UK, and you can go in and you can input a whole bunch of information, and it starts to give you a risk calculation for percentage, you know, of what your risks might be, you know, if you do have a joint replacement based on your health conditions age, weight, things like that. Uh, so I'll throw that in the show notes. Uh, and then hopefully this helps um, make you more aware um, and also helps you understand uh, should you have surgery, if it gets delayed potentially to optimize some of these things that we talked about as to the reasons why um, and what we're looking for. So until next time, stay safe. You've been listening to the Your Knee, Your Health podcast. I'm Adam Rosen. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Your Knee, Your Health podcast. If you've not already done so, please subscribe so you'll be notified of future episodes. And if you enjoy what you're hearing, please take the time to leave a review. It helps other people like you find the show. I'm your host, Adam Rosen, and until next time, stay safe.